0: Good morning, ladies. The the Bible reading this morning is found in Matthew 5, verses 1 to verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. So, nightmares.
1: I wonder what yours looks like. Um, You know, I still remember one of my longest running, recurring nightmares when I was a teenager and even into my 20s is of me um, frantically running around my high school corridors looking for my book bag. Like I'd mislaid my book bag and I was getting later and later for class and the more I was turning down corridors it just was becoming more and more of like an unfamiliar maze. So um, as you can imagine um, I then went on to be quite a dysfunctionally anxious uh, student as well in my life. Anxiety has been an issue. Um, but ladies, we certainly live in very threatening times um, with the pandemic has been very intense, um, with our load-shedding stress uh, for productivity, and actually, I think particularly as women living in one of the most gender-based violent countries in the world, um, we are certainly no strangers to a sense of threat and anxiety. Um, in my 20s and 30s, I also had a recurring nightmare of like a shadowy man chasing me and trying to run away with my heart pumping and my, my legs doing as much as they can, but just staying in one place. I don't know if you ever had one of those running nightmares where you're just not moving forward and the threats coming closer and closer. Um, so I wonder what some of your nightmares are. And then, of course, sometimes our wakeful Nightmares are even more scary. Um, Perhaps um, exposing some devastating deceit in a relationship or at work. Um, Perhaps harm to a child or estrangement from a child. I know that um, our hearts and minds are no strangers to darkness and threats. So today, In our passage, Jesus speaks his Sermon on the Mount into a very shady setting with thick, dark opposition and threat. So we're going to look at this nightmare context first before we look at the details of Jesus' dazzling poem. So are you ready to take flight in the broad sweep of the context? Um, In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he starts, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abram. As you can see, Jesus is the Christ, the promised offspring of King David, who was the Israelites' greatest warrior king, who established them in God's promised land according to God's promises to Abram, who was the Israelites' founding father. And so can all of God's Old Testament promises hang On David's son and Abram's son. Now look at the shady setting into which this Jesus is born. Firstly, from a troubled people. In chapter 2 verse 3 we read, Herod, the king, heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So all God's people in the capital Jerusalem, along with their king Herod, were troubled by the news of Jesus' coming. And then we see a murderous king... In chapter 2, verse 8 and 16, remember that Herod, the Israelite's puppet king under Roman superpower, tried to deceive the Magi into telling him where Jesus was born so that he could go and kill him. 2, verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or younger according to the time that he had ascertained for the wise men. King Herod responds to Jesus' coming with murderous fury, ordering an infant genocide across a whole region. It's hard to think of a more devastating community nightmare. Such a passionate, dark threat Jesus' coming is met with. And then poisonous leaders. In chapter 3... Of Matthew, We see John the Baptist, God's prophet, preparing the way for Jesus. And look at what he says when he sees their religious leaders. Chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the wrath to come? So the prophet of God describes the religious shepherds of God's people As a brood of venomous snakes, this shady opposition gets even darker in chapter three, verse seventeen, where we see satanic attack. Jesus is announced by God the Father at his baptism as his beloved, pleasing Son, and then he is sent into the desert for forty days without food to be tempted by Satan himself, to test God, and to turn to worship Satan in God's place. This is a seriously shady setting. The promised Christ is received by troubled deception, attempted murder through horrific infant genocide, by poisonous, brooding religious leaders, by satanic attack, and actually later also by political force because John the Baptist, his preparation prophet, is arrested. But... All through these dark accounts in Matthew, he wants us to see a bright thread of light. There is a steady, unflinching light as each story in Matthew chapter one to four is framed as God steadily fulfilling his Old Testament prophecies regarding his promised king. You can see that if you glance at chapter one verse 22, two verse six, Verse 15, 17, 23, chapter 3 verse 3, verse 15. And so we're going to just look very quickly at the last fulfillment frame before we get into Jesus' sermon. The last frame that Matthew sets up for us in chapter 4 from verse 12 to 17. Should also be on the screen. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. On them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This quote from Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, hundreds of years before, shows us that the shady opposition with which Jesus is met actually had a long personal history between God and his people. This prophecy about God's promised king is from Isaiah 9. It's a very popular Christmas passage. Many of you probably can quote it. (laughs) For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When you read about this darkness of Isaiah 8-11, Into which the great light of the promised sun will come, you realize that it's even thicker than the troubled, deceptive, corrupt, murderous, satanic opposition that has already been revealed in Matthew. Because with the Isaiah context, God himself is in conflict with Israel. Take a look at me. It'll also be on the screen at Isaiah 1. Verse 1, where God speaks as a forsaken, despised father, utterly estranged from his rebellious children, his nation of Israel. Isaiah 1, verse 2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Verse 4, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. The darkness from Isaiah, into which the light now dawns in Matthew, stretches back to generations of rebellious opposition by God's people against Himself which actually led to God's silence for 400 years. Remember, when Matthew writes chapter 1 verse 1, when John the Baptist comes onto the scene, God has been silent for 400 years. He has said nothing to his people. So, when we read the bright thread of fulfillment in Matthew 1 to 4, and come to John the Baptist speaking again as God's prophet, preparing the way for the promised son of Isaiah 9. We should gasp, wide-eyed. We should sit on the edge of our seats, holding our hearts. And if you read Matthew 1-4, to we should be speechless and trembling at the weight of the shadowy opposition with which Jesus' coming is met. Now, picture the scene at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. If you look at, cha- at that, that bit, crowds of traveling from afar, they're flocking to Jesus. It would be like thousands of people from all over the Gauteng province, carpooling, piling into taxis, renting buses to get to the World Cup Stadium. And it is packed to capacity. People are heaving, trying to get them through the doors still. To hear Jesus preaching and to be healed. That's the picture that's painted for us at the end of chapter 4. And then, chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus sees the crowds from the region of the shadow of death coming, he goes up on a mountain, takes his place on the stage behind the microphone, And the people, the disciples, they come to sit at his feet, Matthew tells us, to hear one of the longest sermons that's recorded for us. What is going to come out of the mouth of the forsaken God's king? The righteous ruler of Isaiah 9, who has been met by trouble, deception, murderous fury, betrayal. Surely a thunderous judgment. As he opens his mouth, a sobering accusation against his people, perhaps a heartbroken lament. Instead, poetic blessing. Out of Jesus' mouth pours a poetic pronouncement bursting with blessing as he looks at the shady crowds gathered at his feet. How awesome, how astonishingly bright and warm must the heart of this Prince of Peace be. To open his sermon, pronouncing blessing, not just haphazardly, not just in passing, but in a poetic form. This is how Jesus chooses to open his sermon to these people sitting in darkness. So, here is our poetic king. Let's look at his words. Uh, Jesus' poem in verses 3 to 10 of Matthew 5 begins each line with blessed. Eight times. And then again, verse 11, another blessed. And in verse 12, he calls them to rejoice and be glad. The heartbeat and tone of God's King is truly breathtaking in his shady setting of dark opposition. God's Son repeatedly pronounces blessing. The word to, the word to be blessed and to pronounce blessing means personal approval and affirmation in line with good plans or purposes to bless someone is to personally approve and affirm them, to want what's good for them. Blessing to which they are to respond in joy and gladness. So our hearts that we were holding in anticipation and anxiety all the way through chapters 1 to 4 on the edge of our dark seats should now begin to race in astonishment and then be be melted, no, that's not a word, drawn magnetically to this booming drum of blessed, 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 blessed from the mouth of God's king. We can breathe again as God's light dawns from the Prince of Poetry. But we must ask, what kind of blessing is Jesus pronouncing? Did you see it in verse 3? Kingdom of heaven blessing. Look at the logic in the word for of verse 3 of the blessed poem. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So then we need to ask, what kind of kingdom? To boom out such blessing in the context of such dark opposition... And um, it is interesting when you look at Jesus' first sermon in Matthew 4, verse 17, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus with the same sermon. So alongside the repeated fulfillment framings that Matthew has set up for us, it's very clear that this blessing is that of kingdom fulfillment. Kingdom fulfillment blessings. And Matthew wants us to remember that they were promised to Abram and David as he starts his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1. So we need to just take a moment to remember what the kingdom blessings were to Abram and David. Um, So the son of Abram. In Genesis 12, God promises Abram that a nation will come from his offspring who will live in God's promised land under his blessing and rule. This promised blessing is actually a restoration of the curses that came from Adam and Eve's original rebellion against God. It's a promise of restoration of perfect Eden. God's people living in God's perfect place under God's good, blessed rule. With God's full blessing and approval, delighting in one another, fully according to God's good purposes. You can hear the blessing in it, right? God's fully restored kingdom Is what he promises to Abram. The whole earth, all of history, restored to God through Abram after generations of rebellion and corruption, generations of shadowy opposition to God. And Abram believed God's promises, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Remember, God established a righted relationship with Abram through his kingdom promises. And then God promised his restoration blessing to all other peoples through Abram's offspring. So here is Jesus Christ, the son of Abram, bringing this promised kingdom blessing, which will address and restore all that has gone wrong, right down to the root of all that brings darkness and destruction in this world. As Abram's offspring grew into the nation of Israel, who were rescued by God into his promised land, the people kept rebelling against God's rule. And so, after the promises to Abram, God's promise of blessing then becomes focused on David's offspring, of a righteous king, a son born to David, that will be his eternal righteous ruler, who will lead God's children out of estrangement, To the fully restored blessing of God's kingdom. And so Matthew says, here is Jesus Christ, the son of David. So the son of Abram and David pronounces blessing on those to whom the kingdom belongs. But did you notice that he doesn't call it the kingdom of Abram and David? But rather the kingdom of heaven. Did you see it in verse 3 and verse 10, which are the brackets of the poem, the beginning and the end of his poem? He says, blessed are those to whom belong the kingdom of heaven. Here we see the same logic and reason. For Jesus, it's not simply the kingdom promised to Abram and David. It's the kingdom of heaven. And for Jesus, this holds intense blessing Why? Because he knows the Father who is in heaven. As we read the rest of the sermon, we realize that the kingdom of heaven is such an abundant uh, place of blessing, according to Jesus, because of his Father in heaven. Jesus references his Father in heaven repeatedly. Chapter 5, verse 16, verse 48, chapter 6, verse 4, verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, verse 15, verse 18, verse 26, verse 31, chapter 7, verse 11. For Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, is a blessing because of his Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is not only the son of Abram and the son of David, carrying all the Old Testament promises of God's blessing with him. But Jesus is also the Son of God. Um, Look at chapter 3, verse 17. Very significant. Jesus' baptism. God the Father says in his own voice so that we can know, this is my beloved Son with whom I am pleased. Jesus' relationship with his Father is all light. Full of love and completely pleasing. Jesus himself has a fully blessed relationship with his Father in heaven. One of affirmation and affection and agreement and approval, light, love, and delight with his good Father. So he knows that those to whom that kingdom belongs are blessed. Because he himself has lived that blessing with his father fully. So, as Jesus takes his position to open his mouth to the people in darkness, his heart is beating with blessing, and he can bring the fullness of God's blessed kingdom promises through Abram and David because he is the fully blessed, beloved, pleasing son of his father. He is utterly good, loving, holy Father in heaven, so Jesus brackets his poem of blessing clearly with this reasoning: Blessed are those to whom belong the kingdom of my Father in heaven, and then he continues to describe that kingdom, does he not in between the brackets? look at the bright, warm light of the description at the ending of each of the verses. In verses four to nine of his poem, having the kingdom of heaven means that they will be comforted. All the threats and loss will be removed. That's what comfort means, right? They will inherit the earth. This means that they will be relationally, the earth will be relationally given to them to care for without opposition and frustration. Their hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Righteousness will be fully restored. There will be no shadowy corruption or rebellion, even in leadership in the kingdom of heaven. They will receive mercy, which they will need, if they will see God, as they will be called children of God, as he restores all of this. Isn't Jesus' poetic description of the kingdom of heaven beautiful? It answers every single longing of our hearts. Jesus Christ can poetically pour out the full blessing of the kingdom of heaven as he has the full blessing of his Father in heaven. So blessed is the person to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs because Jesus brings the fullness of God's kingdom promises from Abraham and David Restoring all that is dark, all that is deceptive and destructive, between his father and their kingdom. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, are you blessed? And listening to the words of Jesus, a synonymous question with that is, is the kingdom of heaven yours? Is Jesus' father in heaven Your father? Or have you still forsaken him? Have you come to this prince of poetry in your darkness? You know, in the middle of this sermon is that famous part where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Even though they've been Israelites and they've been praying and saying the Old Testament prayers all their lives, The astonishing thing in the sermon is that Jesus, God's beloved, pleasing son, teaches them to pray to God as our Father in heaven. This is what it means to be blessed. To have the kingdom of heaven. This is why Jesus can open his mouth with the poetic words, bursting with blessing. Those to whom the kingdom of heaven belong are blessed because Jesus, the blessed son, pronounces that his good loving father in heaven can be our father. So we will, in the second session, we'll look at more of what this light looks like that Jesus brings through his words and what it means to be blessed by looking at more of the poem. But I just in this session want to end with three responses to this breathtaking big picture and this prince of poetry Beating with blessing. So firstly, come to the king in your darkness. Today, you have seen a great light. So come to the king in your darkness. In this sermon, Jesus reminds us that God sees you in your darkness. And it matters to him personally. In Matthew 5, verse 48, 6, verse 4, 6, verse 6, 6, verse 18, the Father in heaven who is perfect sees everything and he takes it personally. Remember, from the Old Testament, all our pain and loss and threat originally comes from people living God-forsaken lives. And so it's a humbling reminder this morning that we are part of the destruction that has come from a humanity in rebellion against God. And it's a humbling reminder and a sobering reminder that God is wronged. God is wronged whenever evil, deception, and destruction takes place. So let's not be in denial about our humanity. This is a warning. Jesus goes on to several warnings in his sermon. By nature, we prefer to ignore God and his rule and his word. All the way through the Old Testament, people rejected and persecuted God's prophets and their warnings about our darkness and God's promises of light. This shady setting lives in all of our hearts towards God. By nature, we keep believing the lie that our lives will be better if we keep ignoring God. Or if we have him on our own terms, more of those terms in the second session. This darkness lives in all of our hearts, and it's the root and the source of everything that is shady and corrupted and broken and destructive and dark in this world. God sees and he knows this. And he actually keeps a record as judge, taking it all personally. And then he sends his light. Not just any light, he sends his beloved son in whom he delights in order to dispel our darkness. So firstly, do you believe that your darkness is personal to God, that he sees it and that he chooses to send his light? God's, God's heart of light shines warmly Through Jesus' words to us today, come to sit at his feet and ask him to shine the light of his word into your darkness. Ask this king to melt and draw your dark heart today so that God, his father, becomes God, your father. Jesus' words is the only warm magnetic light that can turn our cold estranged hearts Back towards God, his father, as his reconciled child now. So come to the king of dawn with your shady opposition to God. Secondly, stay with the son for blessing. Not only come to the light, but stay in the light. Keep following the son on the path that he lights up to his father in in heaven. Stay with the son who has spoken. Jesus sat down to teach. So keep listening to his word, keep seeking and making opportunities to sit at his feet and ask him to keep warming and winning your heart through his words, turning you towards his loving, perfect, holy father. We can come clearly into the light because Jesus has spoken that light clearly. We can follow the narrow path and build our lives with confidence on the bedrock of blessing before God. As we come to the son of Abram, the son of David, his word is even historically and generationally secure. His word beats directly to us personally today. There's no darkness too thick or too twisted that his light cannot break. And so stay with the son and his word. In every situation that you face, with threats and darkness, seek the son. Seek his word. Stay with the son. Don't think that you can find blessing elsewhere. And then lastly, beware of blessing betrayal. You see, because we're part of the darkness, unless we've come into the light of Jesus Christ... We are very easily deceived by our own hearts, um, and actually our own hearts really do need constant turning to believe what blessing really looks like. There's a lot of false blessing, and we are tempted all the time to measure blessing, often in terms of financial success, social power and influence, popularity and admiration by many, or lack of suffering. Do you know that hashtag blessed is one of the most used Instagram moments? It would be a very interesting thing if we could ask a search engine to to group them for us. What they represent. So, this morning, let's take a moment, ladies, to think. Which other princes, full of promise, are you tempted to follow for blessing? Just think for a second. When do you feel most blessed? When do you feel blessed? Try to think of a a recent concrete moment, even this morning or yesterday or this week. What is it that you've been associating with the word blessed? Or when do you most often doubt being blessed? When do you feel anxious that you've stepped outside of God's blessing? Try and think of a concrete, recent, specific example where you've recently felt like you've doubted whether you're being blessed. Are those moments related to God? Are they related to God's Son? Is our counting of our blessedness God-relational in response to His Prince of Poetry? Do we have kingdom promises in mind as a measure for blessedness? Are we sitting at Jesus' feet responding to His Word as the source? Of blessedness. I know that for me, it often has to do with my standing in the world or with some of my gifts from God. But we need to be careful and beware of this betrayal in our own hearts because it puts our hearts in danger of being estranged in relationship with God, of betraying God as a relational, conversational father who sent his beloved Son. Who speaks blessing to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you did not remain silent between the Old and the New Testament. Father, we are in awe that you would send your most beloved. Delightful Pleasing sun Into this world Into our darkness To pour out blessing On a people Who, who are only bent off On forsaking you Lord Jesus We thank you so much For coming So that the kingdom in heaven Can come on earth Without you We would be lost and helpless in our darkness and destruction, in our God-forsaking. Please help us this morning to be moved and warmed and in awe again of the abundance of your goodness and your generosity and your grace. Lord Jesus, help us to fall in love with you all over again, that you would choose to take your seat on top of the mountain, with the crowds gathering at your feet, and to open your word, your mouth in poetry. Lord, we do pray that you would turn our hearts towards you and that you would also make us receptive of your warnings. Please teach us and change us in the ways that we measure blessed. And we pray that you would um, help each and every one of us to think about where we stand with you. Father, if there are women here this morning who are not sure whether they've come into your light, whether they've moved from being God-forsaken to being blessed, that you'd give, give them the courage to come and ask, to get help, to seek you in your word through the people that you've placed around them. And we ask all of these things so that your glorious name would be made great as it is in heaven,
0: also here in Midrand this morning. Amen.